I have a question. Where do babies come from? And I was so thrown off guard, I was not expecting her at seven years old to be asking that question, and I couldn't think of an age-appropriate answer, and I stammered, and I stuttered, and I said, well, uh, you know, it's like, you know what, why don't you go ask your mother? <laughs> and do you know what she said to me? She looked me right in the eye and she said, you don't know either, do you? <laughs> <laughs>
And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Now, I, I don't know if I'm reading this wrong, but it says it's not good for Adam to be alone. It's not good for him to be lonely. He's a little bit lonely. It looked to me like he checked out maybe the possibility of giving him a pet first. <laughs> Am I wrong? It sort of sound like that. So he brings him all the animals, you know, check them out. Are any of these working for you? They're not really working for me. I don't really want a pet. I want, you know, a mate. But here's what, here's what King Solomon said, and he does have some great wisdom on this, and this is Proverbs 18, 22. And he said this, he who finds a wife finds a, anybody know? A good thing. Doesn't say he finds a thing. He finds a good thing. And you know what I tell young people today? I say, don't go out and find a thing. Find a good thing. And I think what we need to do is we need to look for a good spouse, a, a compatible spouse. And I tell young people, don't marry the first person that comes along. Make sure you're compatible with them. Make sure they're a good thing, not just a thing. And so we find this story here that God wants to bring Adam a good thing. So let's carry on, see how it played out. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took out one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of a man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So here we have this little picture. It says that these two shall become one. It says that God took the man and the woman, brought them together, and he says, for this reason you shall leave your mother and father, be joined your wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, kind of ironic, because Adam didn't have a mother and a father. But what's important is the fact that the two become one flesh. And I know some people are thinking that, and they say, that doesn't make sense. How do two people become one? Well, anybody in this room that's been married long enough know exactly what I'm talking about here. After you've been married long enough, this is what happens. You start thinking alike, talking alike, eating alike, and eventually you start looking alike. It's true. Look at these pictures. Check, check these people out. I mean, you know, how long are these people? These are not newlyweds people. This is what happens to you after you've been married long enough. You start to look and act and dress the same. Check these two out. Does it get any geekier than this? Don't ever do this. Don't ever go out in public like this, please. Now, this next couple's my favorite. Check these out. They're not dressed alike, but they smile alike. <laughs> Look at that expression on their face. And I actually happen to know their real names. It's Mr. and Mrs. Grumpy Pants. That's what their name is. And these last two, oh my goodness, that's just plain ridiculous. Don't even, don't even ask me what's going on there, because I don't really know. I want to talk about what it is to become a passionate partner. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. Here's the three things we're going to talk about. Number one, physical passion. Number two, emotional passion. Number three, spiritual passion. You need all three of those things in your marriage to be successful. So first of all, we're going to start with this thing called physical passion. It might not be the most important thing, but it is important. And so I think what I need to do here today is I need to illustrate this story that we just talked about to help you out. So I'm going to be giving you a very, very high-tech illustration today. Are you ready? So I'm going to first of all show you Adam. So there's Adam. 
And uh, if he looks anything like Ken, Ken Doll from Toy Story, you would be correct. That's who he is. I told you it's very high tech. Uh, I decided to have him with clothes on for your viewing pleasure, uh, although I don't think the story actually goes that way. So here's Adam. He's created in the image of God, so that would mean that Adam is complete, right? Correct? He is complete in God. Now, just work with me on this. I have a question for you. If God created Adam, one person, one human being, and all of, them, of us came from him, including the wife, is it possible that Adam, or in this case, Ken, actually contained all of the female attributes of God as well as the male. For illustrative purposes, do you see that pink rib there? I am using that as my example of the feminine characteristics that were somehow intrinsic even to Adam. So God comes along and he puts Adam into a deep sleep. So I'm going to put him into a deep sleep. Did you see that? You say, Pastor Mark, his eyes are still open. Well, he's not real. He's a, he's a paper cut out doll, he can't close his eyes. So he puts him to sleep, just so imagine him asleep. And then while he's asleep, he does a surgical procedure, laparoscopically, I think, and he removes his rib. Hey, was that good? Are you tracking with me? That was pretty good, right? And, and so, so then he takes, he takes the rib, which I'm calling the feminine characteristics, and then he fashions, he makes out of the rib a woman. Who, thinks the woman, who do you think the woman's going to be? Barbie. Yeah, it's going to be Barbie. So she comes along. And of course, Adam's pretty excited, right? And so Adam says this. He says, oh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she should be called woman. But I think we've put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. I think he would have been a lot more excited than that, don't you? I think it would have sounded more like this. Woohoo! Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called a woo-man, because she's a woo-man. You're following this, right? <laughs> I, don't you think he was that excited? I, I, I just want to let you guys in on a little secret. She was naked. He was pretty excited. And look at that. Look at her figure. She's got Barbie figure. That's a 16-inch waist. Anatomically impossible. I read about it. You have to have six ribs removed in order to have a 16-inch waist, ladies. So don't even try this at home. And so we have this, this, this picture of, of, of God taking the rib and making the woman. How many think that was a pretty good trade? That was a pretty good trade. He got the woman for the rib. I think that Adam was genuinely excited about the woman, don't you? And I think we should be genuinely excited about one another. I don't care how old you are. I think that physical attraction is important. And we should always be in love physically with that person that we marry. We actually need that physical component in our marriage that begins when you get married and should carry through for the rest of your life. And guess what? You're both going to become old and saggy and wrinkled. It's just the way it is. Why should you ever lose that love? Now, so I want to tell you this little story. So this is actually how Kathy and I met. I think you'll like this story. So I actually was a friend of her older brother, who was more my age, and she was the kid's sister. I know that's no big surprise that Kathy's younger than me. And I was at a party at her brother's house, and guess who was there? His kid's sister. And when I saw Kathy... I'm not sure if it was love at first sight, but I'll tell you what it was. It was, woohoo! she is a woo-man. That's what I was thinking. I didn't say it out loud, but I was thinking that. Sorry to embarrass you, but it's what happened. And so, and so, so anyway, I got to talking to her, and I thought, this woman is one pretty gal. And so at the end of the night, she agreed. I knew the phone number because I knew where she lived. It was a friend of her brother. And so she agreed that I could call her. 
So the next day I called her up and we were trying to plan to do some get together. And she says, well, I was going running tomorrow. What do you say we come you come over and we go running? I'm thinking, running? Never been running in my life. Running? Who runs? What a, what a dumb thing to do. And so, but I said, oh yeah, I love running. Sure, I'll come over and run. You know, <laughs> you know, guys aren't very bright. They'll just make up. And then I'm starting to panic. I said, how far are we going to run? She says, well, run around the park. It'll be about four or five miles. I'm thinking, four or five miles? I'm going to die. I'm going to be lying on the ground. The ambulance will come. That'll be our last, first and last date. And so I thought, I got to figure something out. So I came up with an idea. Honest to God, true story. I, and so I drove my car over to her house, parked it around the side on the next street where she couldn't see it, got out of my car, and came around the corner in a full sprint like I had run all the way from my house. <laughs> and so, so then I thought, if I wear out or going around the park, I can say, well, I already ran two miles to get here. And so then I was standing there on the spot, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go running. So she says, okay, so we go running. I managed to make it around the park without dying. I thought, I was going to. And so anyway, we, we, get around, we get back there, and I'm really like trying to breathe. <laughs> anyway, so we sit down, her mom brings us out lemonade. We had lemonade together, and then uh, our date was over. Like an hour later, that was it. That was our first date. And so I said, well, I guess I should run home. And I ran around the corner, got my car, and drove home. <laughs> Honest to God truth, I never told her that I did that. She's going to hear about it for the first time today. <laughs> so the second date, I thought, I'm not doing that again. I'm not doing that running stuff. That was my first run in my life and my last. I haven't been running since. And, uh, and so I thought, no, next time I'm bringing my car. So the next time I brought my car, I took her out on a proper date. And when I, when, I got, when I got home, or got her home, I thought, you know, what do you do, you know, do you shake her hand, do you give her a kiss? I didn't know what to do. So, so I, I leaned over to her, and I kissed her on the forehead and said, I really like you. <laughs> and she said, a little lower, please. So I said, I really like you. <laughs> Well, the fact is, I really did like her. And I've been really liking her ever since. And I'm in love with her today as I was 38 years ago when we got married. This whole thing about cleave or cling, it's interesting because there's something happens when we cling or when we physically touch another person. There's actually a hormone in your brain that's released from the hypothalamus. Who knows what that hormone's called? I heard someone say it's called oxytocin, and they call that the love hormone, and they don't actually know how it works, but they know this, that when you hug someone, when you touch someone, when you hold someone's hand, that when you are in physical contact, you actually have this hormone release, and what it does is it draws you into a greater level of affection. And mothers who breastfeed their babies, actually that, that hormone is released. And that's one of the reasons, it's not just a, a free meal. I, for those children, there is this love and attachment that happens to the mother because of the release of this hormone. And that's what happens when we do something as simple as a hug. So I want to tell you a story. My mom's sitting right there where she always sits. And we were having a service like this. And at the end of the service, I was standing here. I was going to take her home. And she was standing there. And this guy walked over. He wanted to talk to me for a second. And my mother looked over, thinking that she recognized him, and said, oh, there he is. 
my favorite guy in the whole world. And she went over and gave this guy this big, huge hug. And so I waited for that to be over, and then he spoke to me for a moment, and then he left. And then she turned to me and said, now who was that again? <laughs> and I said, I have no idea. I thought he was your friend. And she said, well, I don't know who he was either, but he looked like he really needed a hug. <laughs> and you know, I thought about it, I thought, he did look like he needed a hug. And it's funny how such a simple thing like a hug can do amazing things. You all know what I'm talking about. You all know, you've all experienced this. You all know when you've had this sense of detachment and someone came and gave you a hug and it's all you needed. And there's one thing in a marriage that produces oxytocin more than anything else. You know what it is? Sex. Sex, you, you know I hate talking about this stuff so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this. But here's the one thing married couples, don't let the sex end in your marriage. And I just want to encourage you that sometimes you say, well, I feel so distant from them. Well, maybe one of the reasons you feel so distant from them is because you haven't had the emotional connection that actually comes as a result of the sexuality. So the first thing is the physical passion. Second thing is the emotional passion. Now, as important as the physical thing is, and it is, it's actually not the be-all, end-all. And you know, if you were watching from outer space and looking at our movies or looking at our TV, you would think that all we're interested in is sex, right? We are so obsessed with sex in our culture. We are so oversexed as a people. And we think that that is the ultimate, the pinnacle of human relationship is sexuality. It's not true. I mean, think about it. I mean, how long does it take? Like 10 minutes on a good day? What are you going to do for the rest 23 and a half hours? <laughs> and I know I'm poking fun here, but it's true. I mean, it's not a big part of it. It's a, an important part, but it's a smaller part. The far bigger part is the emotional connection. And you know, there has to be in every relationship this emotional passion, I'm calling it. You know what that is? It's this heart-to-heart. -heart. See, you not only become one flesh, you become one heart, where your hearts are knit together and you're still committed to that person and you get that person and you're connected with that person. And one of the big challenges that happens in our culture is married couples often drift apart emotionally. And I tell you, I've seen this hundreds of times, and it's always the same scenario. I'll, I'll paint it for you. So you have the guy, and he's all preoccupied with his job or his sports or his golf or all of the above, and then you've got the wife on the other hand, and she's preoccupied with the kids and the shopping and the you know, Pilates or whatever she does. And you have these two people drifting along like two ships in the night, in, living in the same home. The years go by, and then one morning they look at each other, they realize they have nothing in common, and they say, who are you? And they don't even know each other anymore because they allowed themselves to drift apart emotionally. And I want to tell you some really bad news here. Do you know that adulterous affairs, they don't actually start with sex, they end with sex. Nine times out of ten, they start with an emotional affair an emotional adultery where your heart gets hooked up with somebody else, and that's what people really lack. And it only ends with the sexuality. It begins with an emotional adultery because they weren't meeting those needs at home. And we have got to work so hard on the whole area of an emotional connection and passion one for another. Now, there's a whole bunch of factors for this. I'm going to give you two quick ones. And the first one is this, and it's communication. And I'm talking to you about this one because it's the most important. It's the glue that holds a marriage together. It's not sex. Communication is the actual key. This ability to communicate one to another and to hear, and not only to hear, but to hear one's heart. And there's a fundamental difference between how men communicate and women communicate. So you have the woman, she'll say this, our marriage is in trouble, we better talk. The guy says, our marriage is in trouble, I better keep my mouth shut. 
It's a whole, whole different approach to this problem. And someone once said this, that the average guy speaks 15,000 words a day. The average woman speaks 30,000 words a day. But by the time the man gets home from work, he's already spent his 15,000 words and she hasn't started yet. So you can see sort of the problem that happens here. Now, I just want to give you one little illustration here because I don't have time to you know, take this the full distance. But here's the one thing that's so important. If we're going to communicate, it's not just a matter of talking, it's a matter of listening. And the most important part of communication is actually listening, not talking. And here's a little story, it's very embarrassing, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. I, I don't know if you know this, I'm not a real good multitasker. I can only do one thing at a time. Sometimes I can do no things at a time, but usually I can do one. And so one day, I'm downstairs in the family room, I'm watching American Ninja Warriors. How many of you know who American Ninja Warriors are? Oh, these things, are, these are great. These are grown adults that swing from monkey bars. And they're, they're swinging, going through obstacle course. I love this show. And so I'm down there watching America Ninja Warriors. Kathy comes down to the family room and goes and says this. Oh, good. You're not doing anything. I'm thinking, not doing anything? Can't you see I am watching America Ninja Warriors? Now, I didn't say that. I didn't say anything. I just grunted because I was busy. can only, you know, monotask. So she sits down and proceeds to talk to me about something. And she's talking for about 10 minutes because I could hear her, but I wasn't listening to not a single word. I didn't hear a single word until right at the very end of about 10 minutes later. And she says, so what do you think? Should we go for it? And I turned to her, and that's all I heard. I didn't hear the rest of the conversation. So what do you think? Should we go for it? Now, I thought if I say I wasn't listening, she can be mad at me. And that's a bad strategy, so my best strategy is to lie and to bluff and pretend I know what she's talking about and just give her the affirmative and agree. So I said, sure, that sounds good to me. So we took up the ballroom dancing. <laughs> this is a true story. We took up ballroom dancing. And uh, I didn't realize that in my stupidity of not listening to my wife, I ended up agreeing to not just to go ballroom dancing once. We did ballroom dancing every Friday night for two years, <laughs> all because I wasn't listening. Now, here, here, here's the good news of this. It's actually the best thing we ever did for our marriage. Honest to goodness, it was the best thing. I mean, now all of a sudden, the TV's off, the, the, the iPhone is off, the computer is off. We're there face-to-face, -face, ballroom dancing. And every Friday night, we went out, we were ballroom dancing. You can imagine, I'd be quite good at it, right? And it was fantastic. We were face-to-face, -face, we had physical touch, and it actually did wonders for our marriage. It was a tremendous, tremendous thing. Which brings me to my next point on this, on emotional passion, and that is quality time. Communication. Quality time is the other big one. And it's a matter of the fact that people actually have to spend not just time together, but quality time together. There's a big difference. And here's what happens. See, we get so busy in life that we forget the quality time. And we think we're spending time together, and we're actually not. And what we did when we had kids, young kids, is we made a point of every week going on a date night or a date afternoon or whatever, and we would get a babysitter we would pay somebody, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, you pay someone to watch your kids, it's called babysitter, and uh, we would pay somebody to watch our kids, and we would go out and we'd spend time just together with us. And I see young couples together today that will not do anything without their kids. 
How are they ever going to have quality time together if your kids are already always with you? Because here's what's going to happen. Someday those kids are going to grow up, they're going to leave, and who are you going to have then? If you didn't develop that quality time, it's going to be too late. And so you have to put it into practice and put it into balance earlier rather than later. So that's how you build that emotional connection. So the first thing is the, the physical passion. The second thing is the emotional passion. And the last thing is the spiritual passion. And I'm telling you, this one, I know I'm, getting, I'm saying this one's more important than the last one, but it's true. It's absolutely true. I don't know how any marriage survives in today's day and age without Christ and them and I love it. I mean, how do these couples survive? How do they get through it? I don't think there's enough in this world to hold a marriage together, and that's why the divorce rate is 50%. But when you get Christ in the middle of your marriage, everything else changes. When I do a wedding, I stand before this couple, and I say these words, it, it throws them right off guard. I say to them, whatever you do, don't make the mistake of living for one another. I know what they're thinking, they're thinking, isn't that what we're doing right now? Isn't that what we're, what we're agreeing to? No, you're not agreeing to do that because if you live for one another, guess what? That's not enough. What you need to do in your marriage is you need to live for Christ. And if you live for Christ, here's how it works. See, it's the law of physics. If two separate objects move towards a third and central object, they will by necessity move closer together. And when we put Christ in the middle of our marriage, it's the most important and most powerful thing you can ever do to keep a marriage together. You all get that. And here's what happens, is, is every marriage, every relationship, every always goes to the lowest common denominator. And so if you've got someone that's lagging behind, you will, typically it's easier to draw somebody down than to pull them up. You understand that, don't you? And to pull someone up spiritually is very hard. And so you agree to make this decision that you're gonna live together in a spiritual passion. So I'm going to close with one final story. This is a homegrown story, possibly one of my favorite Holy Spirit rescue stories in, that we've ever had in this church. So here's the story. They've given me permission to tell a story. They even said I could use their real names, but I'm going to change them. And I'm going to call them Henry and Debbie. So Henry was not a Christian. Henry didn't come to church. Henry was a truck driver. He was one of these hard-living kind of guys, you know, typical emotionally detached husband. Wasn't a great husband by his own admission. And he was out on the road all the time, trucking and doing what truckers do. His wife, meanwhile, is the one in church. She's coming to church. She's lonely. She's not getting her needs fulfilled. And she ends up connecting with someone online who lives in Florida. And as the Christian in this relationship, she makes a decision in her heart to leave Henry. And she got on a plane and moved to Florida and moved in with this guy in Florida, the Christian, in this relationship. So now she's gone. She divorces him. Henry's broken. He realizes he made some mistakes, but he doesn't know how to fix it. And then one day, we're, we're some two years into this story, one day he's driving his semi down the Trans-Canada Highway, and the Holy Spirit comes and just comes over him and arrests him on the road to Damascus and just has this experience where the Holy Spirit comes on him. He starts to cry. He, knows, he can't even figure out what's going on. And he's crying. Now he can't see the road, so he has to pull over to the side of the road in his semi. And he's sitting there on the side of the road, and he's crying, and he's crying. And the Holy Spirit is convicting him that he needs to give his heart to Christ. And he came to Christ all by himself right on the side of this road. A Paul road to Damascus, a road to Deloraine experience, wherever he was going. And right there he came to Christ. So now, of course, by this time, he and Debbie are divorced. This marriage is over. But God begins to work on her in Florida. 
that she's made the biggest mistake of her life. And one day she phones up Henry and says, Henry, I feel like I've made a big mistake. I feel like maybe there was something we could have fixed here in this relationship. And Henry says, well, I've got a story to tell you. And tells the story of his road to Damascus experience and how he came to Christ. And she says, do you think we could give this another go? And he says, I think we can make it go. And she gets on the plane and comes back and they're kind of sorting this thing out for a couple of months. I didn't know any of this. And they arrive in my office one day and they sit down and they tell me this crazy story. It's a crazy story. And they said, we've decided we want to get married again. Would you marry us? Would you perform the wedding? I said, yes, but I can't do it till tomorrow. And they said, tomorrow will be soon enough. They showed up the next day in my office with two witnesses with a marriage license. I performed that marriage. And I'm telling you, I know you've all seen them because they come every week to church. And they come down this aisle over here holding their hands hand in hand. They sit together and they snuggle there. And they are more in love than pretty much any single person in this congregation because God did a rescue mission and his Holy Spirit came upon that couple, brought them to their place of their commitment to Christ. And once that got sorted out, everything else came together. That's the power of the Holy Spirit and spiritual passion. So God wants to make you a passionate partner. And it begins with a physical passion, an emotional passion, and a spiritual passion. Because he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Let's stand together, shall we? Pastor Mark's second book, A Greater Passion, is now available. Passion is the fuel for life and the key to pursuing our potential. If you have ever wondered if you could get more out of life, then this book is for you, filled with inspirational stories, laugh out loud humor. Visit churchoftherock.ca now to get your copy shipped right to your door.